always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Talk to our dedicated Switch Squad or search Sky Broadband to get started. The Catholic Church in Ireland, once so powerful, is in decline. For decades, there's been a steady fall in the number of Irish people who are Catholic and a fall in the number of Irish people who go to Mass every week. But did you know going to Mass every Sunday only became an obligation in Ireland in the 1850s? That's relatively recent in the 1,500-year history of Christianity in this country. The reason there was no Mass obligation before the latter part of the 19th century in Ireland was because there weren't enough priests to enforce it. The Catholic Church that most of us would have known is a fairly recent phenomenon. The Church has changed in the past. In order to survive now, can it change again? A global survey by the Church of its members is part of an effort to do just that. This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Conor Pope. Today, I speak to my colleague Patsy McGarry about what Ireland's Catholics told Pope Francis and whether there's any chance they will be heard. Patsy, a major report has just been sent by the Catholic Church in Ireland to Rome ahead of a reforming synod next year. Could you maybe first start by telling me what's the purpose of this reforming synod that's going to take place in 2023? Well, it's an attempt by Pope Francis to establish, if you like, the mind of the Catholic faithful worldwide. So he asked every diocese in the Catholic Church worldwide, including here in Ireland, to begin a process of consultation beginning at a parish level. And the process in Ireland began in October of last year. Every single diocese initiated these discussions with uh, parishioners, with practicing Catholics in their own particular parishes, never mind in the diocese themselves. Like, for instance, in Dublin, about 13,000 people took part, which surprised a lot of people that, that there were so many involved. In Limerick, it was about 5,000. In my own part of the west of Ireland, a Connery diocese, about 300 people. This is one of the smallest dioceses on the island of Ireland. And this took place on all of the 26 dioceses on the entire island of Ireland. Each diocese then prepared a report and each diocese had agreed to publish its own report last June, which they did. And they received, uh, as well as the 26 diocesan reports, there were also 29 separate submissions from interested parties, from individuals like we are, groups like We Are Church, to the Association of Catholic Priests, to individuals, etc. There was a meeting then on the 16th of June last in Athlone, to bring together all of these bodies, including the bishops, about 160 representatives attended this meeting to look at what they had found from these reports and to set up a steering committee, if you like, which would collate all the reports into a synthesis, as it's called. And that synthesis was prepared over the summer months and was sent to Rome on the 15th of August. And what does that synthesis report say? I mean, what demands is it making of the church in Rome, if demands isn't too strong a word? Well, consistently... Throughout all 26 dioceses, one of the priorities was the equality for women in the church, up to and including ordination. It was probably the single outstanding issue on which there was agreement throughout the entire island of Ireland. Uh, Also on LGBTQ issues, it was basically demanded that there be much more sympathy, compassion, recognition of the status of LGBTQ people, same-sex marriage, not necessarily recognition thereof, but embracing uh, LGBTQ people within the church itself, looking at divorce and remarried Catholics, bringing them back into the fold, looking at single parents as well, re-embracing them. In other words, the whole attitude or the whole thrust was to embrace the marginalised, the people who are, if you like, somewhat excluded by 
by a very conservative institution as it had become under the papacies of John Paul and Pope Benedict XVI in favour of something that was much more accommodating and a much more integrationist church. Now, there were minorities in all these contexts. Uh, some of them were younger people who were, wanted to stick with the traditional model, who were more, more rigid about the church's teachings and the adherence to the church in, church's teachings, which has been a strong feature of the last two papacies in Ireland. But in the main, the trust was all-embracing. And what makes it particularly interesting is that the people who took part in this process, throughout the entire Ireland of Ireland, were mainly older people mm. because they're the ones who attend church still. They are the ones who are active in parishes. And in predomin- predominantly they would have been women too because they are the ones on the ground carry parishes, not only in Ireland, not only in the Catholic Church, not only in, in the Christian denominations, but in all faith groupings when women tend to be among the more active. Okay. Now, it's odd that you mention the idea that they would the, this, this report would seek to embrace the marginalised and then the big focus is on equality and bringing women into a more central role in the Catholic Church. Like just how big is that discrepancy between what women do and how women are regarded within the Catholic Church? It is quite enormous and it is extraordinary to describe half of the human race as marginalised. Uh, I mean, in most contexts, women would be the majority in parishes and when it comes to practice of Catholicism or, or of the faith itself. I mean, it's a reflection, if you like, of the whole Western attitude to the status of women coming out of the middle of the last century. Uh, I mean, it has been said that it's the only successful 20th century revolution. Uh, some people would dispute the degree to which it has been successful, but that's another matter. And in particular, it was found again in, uh, in all these consultations that, that where there was a significant and a noted absence of young people. The one thing they did find was that young people were perplexed by the fact that women did not have equality in the Catholic Church, that women couldn't be deacons, that women couldn't be priests. that Young people who, of course, grew up in a different culture simply do not understand that. These are young people in Ireland who have had, I mean, we've had two women presidents in this country in their lifetimes. Mm. Uh, I mean, similarly with the gay issue, they, they're just perplexed. I mean, we have a gay, we had a gay teacher who'll probably be back in office by the end of this year. Young people do not understand why women and gays, for instance, should be excluded or have a minor position within the Catholic Church. Patsy, before we talk about what's going to happen next with this synthesis report, let's talk about how the Catholic Church got here, how it ended up the way it is. There is this sense, or a myth might be a better way of putting it, that the Catholic Church in Ireland is as inflexible as it is permanent, and it has been the same way for centuries. But the reality is quite different, isn't it? Absolutely. The Catholic Church that most of us would have known is a fairly recent phenomenon. It arose in post-famine Ireland. Um, There was a synod called by the then Catholic primate, Archbishop as he was at the time, Paul Cullen. Um, And he, he was a hugely influential figure in the establishing the former Catholicism most of us were familiar with and which dominated Ireland for the 20th century. I mean, I, I think personally he's one of the most neglected figures in Irish history because effectively he was the architect of 20th century Irish Catholicism, which was a powerful, if not the most powerful force politically, as well as in religion terms, on the island of Ireland. And he put in place the structures that led 
led to the growth of the Catholic Church in the latter part of the 19th century, which came out of the penal context. Don't forget, Catholic emancipation was only allowed in 1829. In 1831, uh, the Catholic Church and all the churches got control of primary school education, which is a powerful move politically, uh, and made them put them into a hugely influential position in all parts of Ireland. And in the 1850s and 60s, he set about a building program of churches throughout the island of Ireland. Every diocese had its own cathedral. He also set about the creation of a university. He brought Cardinal Newman over here, since made a saint, who set up what became, in time, UCD. It wasn't hugely successful at the time, but evolved into University College Dublin. So he was an enormous figure. He brought in the um, continental practice of devotions, of Corpus Christi processions, the obligation to attend Mass every Sunday. Mm. And by the latter part of the 19th century, he died in 1878, but by the latter part of the 19th century, you had an alternative, if you like, civic Catholic society within the existing British state that was Ireland. And it was perfectly placed when this state came into being uh, to be hugely influential because it controlled what there was of education services and of health services in the early years of the state. Now talk to me a little bit, if you could, about Catholic guilt and that whole sense of morality that, that, that dominated Irish life for 150 years. Was that a relatively recent concept for the Catholic Church and for people who were practising Catholics? Or was that sense of morality and guilt always attached to the church? Well, actually, it was a peculiar feature of Irish Catholicism. And it was linked in to Victorian attitudes to sexuality. And really, when you look at the practices uh, in continental Europe, in Spain and in the Latin countries generally, in Italy in particular, they were pretty lax when it came to issues of sexuality, much more relaxed than was ever the case in English-speaking Catholicism, which was dominated by Irish Catholicism because we were the Catholic element in the English-speaking world. But Irish Catholicism, coming to the end of the 19th century, was heavily influenced by Victorian attitudes to morality, public morality particularly, but also private morality. And they say that came out of Victoria's first husband, Albert, who was a very strict man in terms of his personal morality. Um, I mean, to the degree, they say, ludicrously, maybe accurately, I don't know, that even the legs of tables were covered <laughs> in English drawing rooms. But anyway, it, uh, in the Catholic Church, this new rising Catholic Church in Ireland, determined to be respectable and, and to be respected, adopted these mores and included them into their teachings on sexuality in particular. And it had a hugely stultifying effect. Are the things that are contained within this synthesis document likely to be taken on board by Pope Francis and the Vatican, or is it far too early to say? It's far too early to say. Uh, the, the other parts of the Catholic world are preparing similar reports, and these are to be collated and presented to the Synod of Bishops in Rome in October of next year. It is likely that the, the developed world, uh, the Western world, will demand radical change. It is equally as likely that the more the developing world will ho- want to hold on to uh, current, more rigid positions. What's the best that reformers can hope for here? I mean, can they hope for women priests? Can they hope for an end to celibacy, a more inclusive church? I mean, what's the best case scenario? What they can hope for, I think, realistically speaking, is that uh, the mandatory celibacy rule uh, uh, might be removed. In other words, priests will be allowed to remarry. I think it's possible, because there's a commission looking at it at the moment, that there may be uh, women deacons allowed in the church. There has been a commission already set up. It couldn't agree 
Pope Francis sent them back to reconsider the issue again, they're doing that. I do think it's still too ambitious uh, for us in our lifetimes to see women priests in the Catholic Church. I think they're the two areas where there may be significant movement. And I think the language around gay people will will certainly have to be. It's already been sort of shoved, shoved aside. I mean, Pope Benedict, as dean of the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith in 1986, said homosexuality was objectively disordered with a tendency to evil. I mean, very, very powerful language, which mm-hmm. has been downplayed since by, by most uh, bishops and certainly by Pope Francis. I think that language would be shoved aside even further. Mm. So there'd be a softening up where gay people are concerned, but also where uh, divorce and remarry people are concerned. I mean, it was interesting that uh, in Knock uh, on Sunday last, uh, that Bishop Kevin Doran, Bishop of Elfin, emphasised how everybody is welcome to, to communion, for instance. People should not be excluded from communion. No bishop, no pastor has a right to exclude anybody. It's a matter for people themselves and their conscience. And coming from one of the more conservative bishops in Ireland, that's quite a radical step. Mm. Because, of course, as we know in America, this issue of communion and abortion, for instance, and people, Catholics who support abortion, has become a red button issue. Where, for instance, Nancy Pelosi, her archbishop in San Francisco, says she will not be allowed to receive communion there because she supports abortion rights. There's been debate among the American bishops as to whether President Joe Biden should be allowed to receive communion. Meanwhile, Nancy Pelosi visits the Vatican last June and receives communion in St. Peter's at a Mass celebrated by Pope Francis. And Joe Biden was assured at a visit last year he need not worry about Holy Communion. So would it be safe to say that the Catholic Church now is the preserve of older people? Yes, and and even there, probably a minority of older people. I mean, church attendance levels are now approaching continental levels. In Catholic countries, they're about 20 to 30 percent. Most of those who attend Mass on a regular basis now tend to be people in the older congregations. This has obviously been hugely influenced by COVID because older people are afraid of congregation contexts or groups. And so that has affected attendance at Masses as well. It has also affected income significantly because of collections uh, are not being taken place when people aren't there. And uh, so it has added, if you like, to a a trend that was down anyhow. So, I mean, the church in Ireland today is not in a good space. And does it have a future in Ireland? Well, not in its current form. I mean, the form of church that most of us would be familiar with is dying and literally dying. The people who attend are getting older. The priests are, are on average about 70, 71 years of age. They can't, there are no replacements. There are very few coming through. So you, you're going to see an evolution into a different form of Catholicism because faith doesn't die. I mean, whether one is a believer or not, it is a phenomenon of human civilization that religion is a part of it. Uh, it always has been. Now, you could, it could be argued that Western civilization is the first manifestation of a civilization that doesn't have a religion, if you like, to, to back it or base it, whatever. That would be disputed by some people as well. We'll leave that to the academics. But, I mean, what is changing is the form of Catholicism in Ireland. And it has been pointed out already by academics and by senior clergy that the form of Catholicism we know is only 150 years old. Catholicism is here, or Christianity is here since 432, heading for its 1600th anniversary in uh, 2032. And um, it will remain, but it will be in a different form where the Catholic work, the Catholic and other churches are concerned in, on the island of Ireland. And what will that form look like? I believe myself it will be hugely lay-led. I believe myself that in that context it will be mainly women-led. Uh, women are already, I mean, over for over 20 years in parts of uh, south, southern France and dioceses there have been conducting funerals, baptisms, officiating at weddings, conducting what are called liturgy, liturgies of the word, which is the mass without the celebration of the Eucharist. But the distributed communion that has been uh, consecrated at a previous mass by a priest. And I mean, that's the way it's going. It'll be lay led. Uh, the priest will have a role, which will be primarily, some would say that that is the function anyway, spiritual, uh, not administrative. 
not in a position of power or authority, um, and he will work to the congregation at a local level. Now, Patsy, we tend to place ourselves at the centre of everything in this country, as I suppose most countries do. But what are the reports from other countries, the UK, Germany, Switzerland, the US, South America and Africa? What are those reports saying or what are they likely to say when they're sent to Rome in the days and weeks ahead? Well, indications are that, uh, for instance, uh, in England and Wales, which is one unit where the Catholic Church is concerned, uh, the report is broadly on the Irish lines. In Switzerland, also very much on Irish lines. In Germany, even more so. I mean, they've been chided somewhat by senior officials of the Vatican for the radical calls they've made and have been making in Germany. It's been pointed out that what they're talking about is trying to change church teaching and church dogma and that that isn't on the table. Uh, in my own view, I do think that the Western uh, Catholic Church is going to call for radical change, with the exception of America, where it's split. You have a very strong evangelical Catholic, uh, narrow traditions Catholic element in the United States Church. It's really a manifestation of the deeper divisions in that country anyhow, or a reflection of that. I also think that um, in Africa, you have a new church there. It's also a very conservative church. It is growing very rapidly. It is the fastest growing part uh, of the Catholic world. And it will be uh, dig its heels in on the more conservative issues, particularly with gays and women. In South America, it's more complicated. You have a very strong growing evangelical movement in the most Catholic country in the world, which is Brazil. And they are also very conservative. But at the same time, you have a, a growing liberalization. Don't forget that Francis himself comes from Argentina, which is Southern America. Don't forget liberation theology came out of Southern America, America as well. So you've got those two conflicting forces there. So as to what will come out of the Synod in October of next year, it's very hard to say overall from the universal Catholic point of view. Um, you're likely to have a strong, strong push, certainly from the Western churches, for uh, equality for women, the removal of, the, of mandatory celibacy uh, and a much more relaxed language towards gay uh, people and the, the divorced, remarried, uh, single parents, etc. I wonder, finally, if the problem isn't so much in the institutions or the hierarchy or the doctrines, but simply because of a loss of faith. And surely that loss of faith and that move towards a secularised society cannot be addressed by a report published by the Vatican or a synthesis document sent to Rome by the Irish Church or the German Church or whatever it might be. Surely the problems run deeper and more fundamental than any of these tinkering at the edges can address. Or any church, I think that's a very, very, very good question. And I hate it when people say that. There's no doubt about it. There are probably two generations of younger people out there now who have happily lived their lives without connection with religion. Um, some may if you like, go through the, the major life marking routines like get married in church and there are even less and less of those all the time. Or christening seems to be favoured by quite a lot of people. Funerals as well. Apart from those three areas... Uh, and maybe first communion because kids are in school. Um, uh, there, there is little connection between uh, probably p- most people under fifty and any Christian denomination. And I mean, in the past, this would have been regarded with horror. They would it would have been a prescription for social chaos or social disorder. That has not happened. Is not happening. These are young people are as good, if not better, than previous generations in terms of their sense of responsibility and in terms of their personal behaviour. I mean. They don't have faith. It has no role in their lives. Their lives are, in, are rich 
in they find meaning in whatever sense they do they do without church without religion and uh, so where is it going to go i really can't answer that question i do not know that's it for today this episode of in the news was produced by declan conlon and suzanne brennan we'll be back Never suffer the buffer again. Always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Whether you're streaming on the sofa, gaming in the bedroom, or swiping in the bathroom. I said swiping. You'll never be without it. Switch your home to 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Availability subject to location requires Sky Broadband Ultrafast. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speeds. 99.9% reliability based on time our broadband network works across our base.